Someone once said that uh, the worst thing that can happen to you is to become successful before your time. And if we look at some examples, uh, it seems that this is true. We pick one, any of our favorite fallen stars from James Dean to Rivers Phoenix to uh, Kurt Cobain to John Belushi to Chris Farley, and no doubt there are cemeteries full of celebrities who couldn't handle the stardom, let alone non-celebrities who were raised up and, and then fell to their demise. And of course, early success does not always mean death, okay? <laughs> but often it leads to more common things like burnout, breakdown, addiction, adultery, midlife crisis. And since most of these lead into an early grave anyway, you can argue that the idea is still true, that it can be downright fatal. You see, the problem with stardom is that it stunts our growth. You see, life is meant to be a succession of trials and challenges that lead us to a fully dependent life on God. And oftentimes when we are thrust into the limelight, we bypass some of those trials and hardships that God uses to shape our character. Wayne and Garth had it right. We're not worthy, right? But most people think that we are. From Adam and Eve trying to become God themselves down to our trivial pursuits for fame and fortune, we creatures tend to think of ourselves quite capable of handling things on our own and the plague of pride brings us glory that we do not deserve. It robs us from the growth opportunities that we desperately need and it also gives our enemy a foothold because his strategy is to use success to steal our struggles. And it's in those struggles that God shapes us into the men and women that he desires us to be. And so while the world thinks that instant stardom uh, characterizes as the lucky ones, man, they made it, right? Hopefully we know otherwise. The real lucky ones are the ones whom God keeps from self-destruction. <laughs> and oftentimes he uses hardships and sufferings and pains to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at this guy in the Old Testament named Joseph, who had a vision of becoming famous. And it almost ruined him, as we're going to see today. But thankfully, he went through some hardships and some suffering that helped keep him humble and helped shape him into the man that God could use. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, um, so it's at the very front, and we're going to be in chapter 37 there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table back there, and we have a box full of them, so please take one up if you don't own one. We'd love to, for you to just take one as a gift from us so that you can have to read on your own. And so we're going to start there in verse 1 of Genesis 37, and we're going to read through the first 11 verses, but we're going to kind of take a look at this whole chapter, this whole section of Scripture. So read along with me. Jacob lived in the land of his father, uh, his father had stayed in the land of Cana. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. 
Joseph was a young man of 17. It was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billa and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Remember that. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain and out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. And his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. He says, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come to bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, as we're going to see over the next few weeks, Joseph was a a pretty God-fearing, honorable guy. And if there were some character flaws, they were probably here in his early age, while he was young. They arised in his early days. You see, Joseph, when he was young here, he had a tendency to spy and to tattle uh, on his brothers and to to gloat over them for their father, Jacob, loved him. Joseph was really just an arrogant little punk, okay? And I am somewhat of an expert on arrogant little punks because I was one. (laughs) Growing up, that was me, right? And apparently, Joseph knew how to play his father against his brothers, and he would use it to his own advantage, right? You notice what it says here, that uh, he came and brought a bad report about his brothers, right? And they despised him for it. He was already the favorite, okay? And I know all you parents, you say, oh, we don't have favorite kids, but uh, you probably do, right? There's probably one of them that you probably like a little bit more than the rest. I'm just kidding. Um, but, But Jacob did. Joseph was his favorite. Now, of course, his father, Jacob, bears some of the responsibility for the problems going on with Joseph and his brothers. You see, in this type of family arrangement is a classic example of the sins of the father being passed down to the sons. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jacob and his brother Esau, then you would know that some of this kind of sounds kind of familiar, right? You see, Jacob was the younger of a twin brother named Esau, and through bartered birthrights and stolen blessings, it took decades for Jacob and Esau to reconcile their relationship because Jacob was his mother's favorite and Esau was his father's. And Jacob Jacob stole his brother's birthright and blessing and tricked him out of it. And so it seems that Jacob hasn't really learned from his lesson, has really kind of passed down the example to his sons. And so Joseph 
carries on, and he has bought this ridiculous, gaudy coat of many colors. And the next thing that we know, the family of Jacob is singing the same old song of one favorite over another, right? And yet, God is sovereign through all of this. And that's really the underlying lesson that we learn from the life of Joseph. That even when things look like they're falling apart, that God is still in control. And that God is still sovereign. God uses the bickering and rivalry and malice as a foundation stones on which to build a nation. A nation that would ultimately bring about a Messiah. Jesus, the Savior of the world. God worked through these bickering families, this dysfunctional family, to bring a beautiful blessing, not just to them, but to us and to the rest of the world. Joseph and his family and all his descendants, God would use to fulfill his purposes. And so as we open up this biography of Joseph today, we see this stone in Joseph with all its kind of rough edges, all its kind of rough edges and and, and rugged edges. And we're going to begin to watch over the next few weeks as God begins to shape this rough stone into this diamond in the rough as he shapes and polishes Joseph into the man that he wants him to be. So first here, God gives Joseph this dream, right, of what his future is going to be. Now, Joseph could have easily kept this dream to himself, right? But what's the first thing he does? He goes, hey guys, I got this dream, and you're going to bow down and worship me, right? So that's the arrogant little punk part of him, okay, all right? Um, he, he, he blabs to his brothers about this dream and rubs it in their face. But God gives them this vision of his future, and yet he still is immature. And his arrogance for his dream and his father's affection blow up Joseph's head, and he's quick to rub it in. His brothers go from disliking him to downright hating him, and it grows and grows. But as we see in the rest of this chapter, in the next couple of chapters, Joseph's life seems to go from bad to worse pretty quickly. Joseph's 12 brothers were out tending the flocks later on, and Jacob sends Joseph out to check on his brothers. Well, his brothers see him coming off in the distance, and so they began to plot and to make plans. They say, man, we can shut up this this dreamer once and for all. We can kill him. And then we don't ever have to hear another dream that he had. And so they make plans and they, they plot to take his life as he's approaching them as they're out in the field. Well, one of his brothers, Reuben, says, hey guys, hey, let's, let's not kill him, right? Let's not let his blood be on our hands. Let's just throw him over here into this well and let nature do its thing. But really, Reuben was planning to come back and rescue Joseph. Um, he, he didn't want to join in the same thing. And so as Joseph approaches, they grab hold of him and they take his, uh, his glorious robe, right, that his father had given him. They rip it off of him and they throw him into this well. And then they go about the rest of their day. And as they're sitting and eating, this caravan of merchants that's going down uh, and heading to Egypt to sell all these different spices and all of these different things is coming by. It just happens to be at the same time. And so 
Judah, one of other one of the other brothers of Joseph, says, "Hey, you know Reuben's right. We shouldn't kill him, but uh, we got to get rid of him because uh, he's Daddy's favorite, and and he's just going to cause more and more trouble for him. So let's let's sell him into slavery to these guys." Now, I've got an older brother named Richard. He's five years older than me, and we, growing up, fought all the time. And I'm sure that there were times that Richard wanted to sell me to the circus, but he didn't, thankfully. But Joseph's brothers did. They sold him to this caravan, and Joseph is taken down to Egypt and sold to a man named Potiphar. And soon Joseph would rise, not only as a servant, but to become second in command of Potiphar's household. But God was going to use the suffering that Joseph went through at the hands of his brothers and later the suffering that Joseph would go through at the hands of others to shape Joseph's character, to make him into the man that God wanted him to be. And while God does not cause evil, he does use our suffering and hardship often to shape and to mold us into the people that he desires for us to be. James tells us this in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, When we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. And while God does not tempt anyone and why God is not tempted by evil, he does use our trials and our suffering and our hardships to shape us. In fact, the verse right before this, James says this in verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Both of these things are true. God is not tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone with evil. And yet, God uses our suffering and our trials and our hardships to shape us and to mold us into the men and women that he wants us to be. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance leads us to grow mature. Paul says in Romans 5 that perseverance leads to character and character hope, and hope does not disappoint Friends, both of these are true for Joseph, and both of these are true for us as well. So this morning, I want us to look and see at this process that God uses to shape men and women into the men and women that he wants us to be. The first thing that we can see is that God often inspires us with vision. He often inspires us with vision. You know, kids are natural dreamers, right? If you talk to any parents or teachers that are around kids, you know the type of imagination they have, but you also know the, the things that they are able to, to see, the vision that God has given them, the dreams that they have given them. And when their hearts are drawn to a particular picture of the future, provided it's a noble picture, a God-honoring picture, it is oftentimes God beginning to stir within those children the thoughts and purposes that he has for them. Now, Joseph literally had a dream, okay? Uh, and Joseph had the gift of interpreting dreams, which is going to come kind of handy a little bit later on when he's thrown into jail, right? And, and we aren't. But God still inspires us through dreams and through vision, right? 
Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, I want you to know this morning that God has created you uniquely. He has gifted you uniquely. He has created and recreated you in Jesus uniquely for good works. Now, there are some terms that we kind of throw around as we talk about the way that God has gifted us. Sometimes we say that God has given us talents, he has gifted us, or he has wired us in certain ways. Uh, But not only does God give us talents or gifts, or not only does God wire us in certain ways, but God also gives us passions. Not evil passions, not evil desires. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I want you to think about the things that you are passionate about. What really stirs your heart? What are you passionate about? What are your dreams? What are the things that really fulfill you? What are the things that bring you joy? What kind of personality do you have? You see, I believe that not only has God given you talents, but he's also given you passion. He's given you drive for the unique things that he has prepared for you to do. And he has prepared each and every one of us for something. What kind of things fulfill us? What kind of things bring us joy? These are often God-given You know, oftentimes within the church, we focus on a a few set of talents and gifts that we use on Sunday morning in our worship gatherings, Uh, but God has gifted each and every one of us for good works. Now, if you remember a few weeks back when we talked about worship, we said that worship isn't an event that we go to, right, but it's a lifestyle that we lead, Um, and everything that we do and everything that we say should be in worship to God. It should be for and to God. And so what that means is that the way that you and I are neighbors to our neighbors, the way that you and I parents, the way that you and I are spouses, the way that that you and I are employees or employers or business owners or friends should all be done for God's glory. God has created and gifted and wired you for good works for his glory. So we must use our gifts, our talents, our passions for God's glory. Now, maybe you are extroverted, right? God has wired you to gain energy from being around people. Man, what a blessing that you are, that you can help others open up and to talk and to share and break down walls that other people have put up. But maybe you are introverted like I am. And and maybe uh, being around people drains you, but you are able to be around a small group of people and you are able to help those people to grow and to go deep in their relationships. And God has wired you specifically for great things. Maybe you are an organized person. Maybe you are detail-minded. And what an amazing gift that God has given you to share with other people because you are able to organize and make sure that nobody and no thing is overlooked. But maybe, maybe you struggle to see how things and where things are going. But maybe God has wired you in a different way. 
Maybe God has given you uh, the ability to be able to see where we are going, right? To give you the ability to see vision. Most of the time, we call those people big idea people, right? And those big idea people, sometimes they struggle with the details, right? You know, they can see where we're going, but they can't necessarily get us there, right? And so we have to work together in order to reach these goals. Man, maybe God has given you a passion, a love for kids or for teenagers, Man, here at Journey Church, we love to get you plugged in and help out with our kids' ministry. Laney would always love some help in our kids' ministry. Maybe God has given you a passion for teenagers. Man, we also need somebody. We need some people that will step up and start a ministry for our students, for our middle school and high school students. We need somebody with a passion that God has given to step up and start a life group or start a ministry for our teenagers. Man, I've been praying for God to raise up the right people at the right time to start and to lead a ministry for our teenagers. It's something we desperately need. Maybe God has wired you for that ministry. Maybe God has made you for this job. Maybe that's you. Maybe God has gifted you and wired you with a a desire to help people that are hurting. Man, what a blessing that you are to people. Maybe God has uh, made you like Billy and made you an encourager. Man, I can tell you what, talking to Billy Winstead on Sunday mornings, it, it makes me feel so good. He's always encouraging. Thank you, Billy. God has wired us all differently. But he's all, all of these gifts God has given for us to use for his glory. And we could spend all day going through the list of all the different ways that God has gifted us and wired us and given us passions. And, and because we, they are unique and different as each one of us are. But like Joseph, God often inspires us to, for the good things that he has prepared for us with vision, with passion. And that vision... It may be for a time or a season, and it may change, and that's okay, because I've often found that God can and will use us right where we are and when we are. Find your unique spiritual gift and do good for God's glory. I don't know how God has created and wired and gifted and equipped you, but I know that he has so that you can serve him. I don't know how, but I know that he has. And if you're looking for some more help in trying to find out how God has gifted you and wired you, let me give you a couple of resources. There's a book called More by a guy named Todd Wilson. It's a little thin book. I encourage you to check that out. I also encourage you to check out some spiritual gifts analysis. And basically, these are just tests that kind of ask you some questions and help help you to find out how God has gifted you and to wired you and, and give you suggestions about, um, you know, what are some ways that you can use those gifting for God's glory. But guys, not only has God shaped us with vision, but all, God also trains us for service. He doesn't spoil us with big-time success and responsibility, but rather he looks for faithfulness in the small things before leading us to even greater things. He builds us through humble servanthood. 
You know, oftentimes Jesus' 12 disciples, the 12 guys that would go around with him, they often fought about who was the greatest or who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, who would have the places of and titles of honor in the kingdom of God. And I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to their arrogance. In Mark chapter 10, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, God trains us for service with service. <laughs> we, we learn how to serve by serving, by doing it, right? Joseph had failed at first, and his coming trials of being sold as a, a slave and then going to be thrown into prison will help prepare him for the much larger work that God would have in store for him even becoming the second in charge of all of Egypt. You know, here at Journey Church, we say that we uh, sacrifice self, that we follow the example of Jesus like he's told his disciples, who sacrifice self for the needy, the hurting, and the lost. We say that this is how we put our faith into action, that we mobilize to help our community and our world, even when we are called to sacrifice and to suffer to meet their needs over our own. Friends, each and every one of us has been created and gifted and equipped to serve others. You know, oftentimes we look for the big areas for, for service, right? Oftentimes we look for uh, being second in command of Egypt or, or having uh, the seat on the left or the right of Jesus, right? We want those big places of honor and to serve God in some big ways. But the second in command, but we are all called to serve in some general areas. And friends, if we're not serving in those areas that God has called each and every one of us to serve in, then God's going to have a hard time calling us to the bigger things that he has in store for us. Those who are faithful with the little things will be entrusted with more. I love what Richard Foster writes in his book, Celebration of Disciplines. He says, at the cross, the sign of submission is the sign of submission. So the towel is the sign of service. Gathered at Passover feast, the disciples were keenly aware that someone needed to wash the other's feet. They wore sandals. It was gross. It was a thing they did, right? But the problem was the people who washed feet were the least of the servants. No one wanted to be considered the least. They just got done fighting over who was going to be the greatest. And so they didn't even bring it up. They didn't say a word about it. They just all walk, walked around with their dirty, stinking feet, knowing they needed to be washed, and nobody wanted to do anything about it. And so Jesus takes a towel and a basin, and he redefines greatness. He lives out servanthood right before them. And he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do what I have done for you. 
You know, many times we would often prefer Jesus to call us to deny our father and our mother and our land and our houses for the sake of the gospel than to hear his words to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives us a feel of adventure, right? If we forsake all, we even have the chance of being martyred. But in service... We must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves daily. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial, without recognition. God trains us for service with service. So humble yourself and sacrifice yourself to meet the needs of other people to meet the needs of other people. And oftentimes, it's the little deaths of going beyond ourself and putting the needs of others first. Not only does God use vision to inspire us, but also trains us for service, but God also tests us with difficulty, right? He uses problems and setbacks and natural consequences of our actions to chip away at our character flaws and to sharpen our character and to form us into the people that he wants us to be. This is exactly what he did with Joseph. And this is what he does for us. Again, Joseph was this arrogant little punk. And so God uses the suffering of his brothers and later other people to shape Joseph into the man of God that he could use and entrust with his purposes. Again, James tells us in James 1, 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Friends, God does not tempt us with evil, but God uses our trials and our sufferings and our hardships to shape us, to produce in us perseverance in our faith, to help us to grow to maturity. Perseverance leads to character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint. But friends, the choice is yours and mine, how we will allow our suffering to shape us. You see, suffering and hardships will either make us bitter, or if we allow God, they'll make us better. And the choice is ours. Let's choose to allow God to make us better. God inspires us with vision. He trains us with service. He tests us with difficulty. And lastly, God breaks us with hardship. You know, most people, like Joseph, that are marked for special purpose with God, pass through one, if not many, trials by fire. Major periods of suffering, misunderstanding, apparent failure, and the like, in order to become radically dependent on God. And as we hold on to God, we begin to feel and abandon uh, and, and useless sometimes, but God takes us through his finishing school of suffering and hardship to prepare us for that initial vision to become a reality. Three years ago, 
a group of us were given a vision by God to start a new work here in Journey Church. But the reality is that God gave us that vision a couple of years before, three years ago, when we started Journey Church. And many of us went through some times of suffering and hardship before God brought to reality the vision that he had given us to become a church that would help reach people who were far from Jesus. On November of 2019, we started Journey Church. We met for the first time on November 17th. Man, God was bringing this vision to reality. He was leading us to be a people that helped everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. But friends, the hardships didn't stop. Just a few months later in March 2020, this thing called COVID hit, right? Anybody heard of that? (laughs) Man, and we went from being a church on vision, on mission, that God had given us to trying to figure out what to do. How can we be the church still, not be able to gather together, right? As the rest of the world, we too were trying to figure out what this looked like and what this meant. And man, there's been hardships over these last three years, but let me tell you that even though the things haven't gone exactly how we thought they should, even though things haven't grown as fast or as quickly as we thought they should, man, people's lives are being changed. People who are far from Jesus have been coming to Jesus and being baptized. People who have been disconnected from the church are are being reconnected to church. People are overcoming addiction. God is working in and through us. He has been shaping us through suffering and hardship and preparing us for what he has in store for us to become a church that helps Washington and Beaufort County hear the good news of Jesus. He's shaping us to become become a people that is helping everyone, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, discover their relationship with Jesus. He's making us into a people that comes alongside of people and walks side by side through this messy thing called life together with them. Friends, God has been shaping us and forming us to become the people that he desires for us to be. Jesus told two of his disciples who wanted a place of honor in his kingdom, James and John, he tells them this in verse 38 of Mark 10. They asked for a seat at his right and left, and he says, you don't know what you're asking for. You can't, can you drink the, the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized with? He was talking about the suffering that he was going to go through as he made his way to the cross and then the cross himself. And they said arrogantly, of course we can, right? And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. James and John would learn firsthand that suffering and hardships go hand in hand with serving God. James would end up being killed, stoned to death. I think he was stoned to death. Maybe he was stabbed to death. Anybody know? He was killed for following Jesus. John wasn't, but he was beaten and arrested many times for being obedient to God. They would learn firsthand that to follow Jesus 
would mean to drink of the cup and be baptized with the baptism that he went through because Jesus showed us his obedience even through suffering. And suffering leads to God's glory. James, John, Paul, and so many others of our brothers and sisters around the world that have gone before us have been pleased, have been honored to be counted worthy to share in the suffering of Jesus. God breaks us with hardship, just like he did with Joseph. God, God is working to shape Joseph from this arrogant little punk into a man of character that God can use to deliver his family, Israel, from suffering that they will go through through a famine. God is preparing Joseph to be used to protect Israel so that Israel can rise up and can bring the Messiah, Jesus. God would shape Joseph, as we're going to see over the next couple weeks. He inspired him with vision. He trained him with service. He tested him with difficulty, and he broke him with hardship. And friends, God wants to do the same for us. We pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have brought us through and continue to bring us through your finishing school of suffering, of hardship. Father, we, it hurts. It's painful. But Father, help us, like James tells us, to consider it pure joy. Because we know that suffering leads to perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, when it's placed in you, does not disappoint. Father, we thank you for the example of Joseph. We thank you that even though he had some character flaws, even though he was far from perfect, that God, you prepared him through all of this suffering for what you had in store for him. Father, help us to see how you are preparing us for what you have for us to do. We thank you, not only for the example of Joseph, but we thank you for the example of your son, Jesus, who sacrificed himself to serve us. We ask all of this in his son's name. Amen. Jesus has set the ultimate example for us. James and John wanted honor. They wanted glory in the kingdom of God. But what Jesus offered was a towel and was suffering. Jesus would not only wash their feet, but then he would lay down his very life on the cross, not only for those 12 guys that gathered in the upper room, but for each and every one of us as well. Friends, Jesus has died and suffered for you and for me to forgive us, to make us clean, to wash us. And friends, if you have never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus and been baptized, man, let's go down to this cold river this morning. Won't you come and make today 
the day that you give your life to Christ and meet him in baptism. Won't you come today? I'm going to be in the back if you're ready to make that decision. For those of us that already have, God has given us this amazing reminder that when we gather together, we get to be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. We are reminded of his body and his blood through the bread and the cup of communion. So use this time. Reflect on your life. Use this time to confess your sins and your shortcomings and your character flaws to God. And use this time to allow God to continue to shape you into the men and women that he desires for you to be. Let's remember together as we partake in communion. If you didn't grab communion on your way in, raise your hand. We've got some guys in the back that will bring that to you. Um, just raise your hand, bring, they'll bring it to you. When you're ready, let's remember together today.